Welcome to the Rainbows and Rain podcast, the podcast for early interventionists. My name is Erica, and I'm an ECSC teacher in Minnesota. This podcast is about connecting through stories and reflecting on our practices during visits. Hear how I try to put best practice and research to work on the road and on real visits, and how I sometimes find humor in it all. I hope this podcast helps you connect and reflect on your own visits and interactions with families. The podcast is now on Instagram, so check it out at rainbows underscore rain underscore podcast. Also, don't forget to rate, review, share with colleagues. The podcast is available wherever podcasts are listened to. Welcome again to the podcast. This is episode 26 of Rainbows and Rain, early intervention stories, coaching, and reflection for uh, anyone who is working in early intervention, anyone doing home visits, anyone working with children and families with disabilities. So I have put a couple things on Instagram. One was what do you find what do you struggle with most on visits? And I got a lot of feedback, which coaching was definitely the top uh, the top response there. And then I also put on Instagram, you know, I'm starting to talk a little bit more about the bag. Um, on Instagram, you know, I follow probably like you, a lot of therapists and OTs and speeches and teachers and other things like that. I'm seeing tons of like activities and ideas and things to do on home visits, but I'm really seeing a lack of content when it comes to how to actually conduct an early intervention home visit with a family, with a caregiver that's successful? Like, what are your go-to questions? What are your go-to catchphrases? How does your flow look during that visit? So my attempt today in this episode is to kind of go through the bones of what makes a good early intervention home visit. So in previous episodes, I've talked about like, there is no one specific look to how coaching should look or how an early intervention uh, home visit should like look like there is no steps one through eight. However, I am going to go through some steps. Um, but it's it's not something that's sequential. It's something that flows and moves back and forth. And I think that's what's really tricky about when you're coaching and you're you're in that place of like true kind of back and forth with the caregiver. Um, you have to be really responsive to what's going on in the home with the mom, the dad, the caregiver, grandma, grandpa, and also what's going on with the child, the other factors in the environment, and all all of those things. So I just wanted to pause and reflect on just how to conduct a successful early intervention visit. And I was really forced to reflect on this earlier this spring. I think I mentioned I had a student teacher with me for eight weeks. 
And I thought to myself, how in the world am I going to teach her how to do this? <laughs> so um, I really had to really think about um, how to coach her and um, support her in that role she's going to be taking on um, in her in her career. So welcome again. If you don't know already, I am a huge fan of Dana Childress's book, Pause and Reflect, Your Guide to a Deeper Understanding of Early Intervention Practice. If you don't have that book, get that book. Um, I'm definitely not being paid to say that, um, but it is a must for anyone working in the field, um, any, any therapist title, teacher, what have you. If you're doing home visits, if you're doing early intervention, you need the book. Okay, so I'm going to go through this document that I created to kind of help support the student teacher I coached earlier this spring on how to conduct an early intervention visit. And I think some of these pieces are, um, you know, are just, what do I want to say? Um, they don't move. They always happen at the beginning. They always happen at the end. So definitely think of an early intervention visit as a sandwich. And you need something to hold that sandwich together. So something on the top, something on the bottom, or something rolling it all together, like a wrap. But what happens inside the home visit, how you make that sandwich can vary because there's lots of different ingredients that can go into, I don't know, the endless um, recipes to make a sandwich. So hang on to that visual, if you will. So while the beginning and the end um, may be the part that holds the visit together and kind of connects the entire visit and holds the sandwich together, what happens in the middle is what makes home visiting spontaneous, exciting, and caregiver focused. So things may blend. You may have some ingredients someday and not the, and not the next, and that's okay. So I think this is pretty standard for most of us, which is step one, when you first walk in the door, it's that greeting and that check-in. Um, take responsibility for the energy you bring to the family and the energy you bring to the home visit. When you walk in, acknowledge each family member um, and who is present in the home. So if there's someone you've never met before or if dad all of a sudden is home, um, just be aware to... Um, and be polite and just acknowledge each family member. Follow the caregiver's lead when you arrive. So go where they go. Do not go straight to the living room floor unless they physically themselves sit down on the living room floor. Um, I think that's key. If they first sit on the couch, you sit on the couch too. If they go to the kitchen, um, follow them to the kitchen. So you want to parallel yourself with that caregiver to show them I am first here for you and to support you and connect with you and your family. And of course, the child you're ultimately servicing is a part of that big picture, is a part of that family. Ask about the family's life. So I think this is so cool. When holidays happen. 
I always kind of take a little bit of extra time to talk about how did the holidays go? You will find out so much information um, around holiday time. Um, I remember this one visit I had. It was this uh, little guy with uh, sensory I've never seen a kid move as fast as him and move as much as him. I'm not even kidding. And the parents were so chill and so relaxed. Um, it was a really interesting dynamic and and they were really calm around him. But he moved and he moved a lot and he, he sought um, a lot of movement. So it was Halloween and I said, oh, you know, did you guys go trick-or-treating or... What did the holiday look like for you? We did go trick-or-treating. It was really hard. Um, Every um, door they knocked on when he went to go take candy, he just didn't go to take candy. He went to grab candy. He was grabbing handfuls and fistfuls and, and putting in his bag and running to the next. So he was really seeking that that movement. And as you're trying to explain sensory and sensory processing to a family, it's really difficult, I think. It, at least that's been my experience until you put it in context of real life. And I was in the process of doing that. And he was new to me too. So we've only been together a couple of months. And I said, that's the kind of thing we've talked about where it's like, he's not being impolite. He's not, it's not that he doesn't understand you, although he may not. His body is just seeking, is seeking that. So we had to talk about that. So again, I've learned, you know, I've gotten parents and families to kind of reflect on their child's social skills because that's, you know, they went to visit cousins or they went to visit grandparents and okay, well, what, um, what did those interactions look like? So again, just check in about the family's life, if there's been a holiday, if there's been a special weekend, or if they did anything significant over the weekend, or know what their interests are. Hey, did you go hiking this weekend? Or did you go boating? Or if you know the what the family's interests are, you can kind of check in with those things and learn a lot actually about discussing those with families. If there's definitely any basic needs issues going on in the home when it comes to housing, food, uh, any like financial things like that. And if you are also acting as the service coordinator, which where I work, I sometimes am the primary service provider, the case manager and the service coordinator. I know in other states um, there is a separate service coordinator role in and I think for most of my state and many others, though, there isn't a separate service coordinator role. So that it really is your job as well to be um, helping connect those resources if needed. Part of that greeting and part of that check-in is also reviewing the joint plan from the previous visit. And that's going to be a transition to what's going to happen next on the visit. So joint planning is what ties everything together. It's what holds that sandwich together and it connects each visit to the next visit. Every single visit should include a joint plan and it should be reviewed at the beginning of every single visit. 
If you are struggling with coaching, that is the number one thing you can do to kind of improve your visit, the quality of your visits is reflect on how you're joint planning with the family. How are you reviewing that joint plan and communicating that joint plan? So depending on what happened during the week or how successful the joint plan is will depend what you move to next. So you could move to discussion and observation, or you could move to problem solving, you know, defining the problem, what happened during the week, why the plan did or didn't work, or parts of it didn't work. You could also move, you could also jump right into practice. And practice is what happens when you are with a child and you're doing the strategy and you're actually practicing it. So that's all. Or are you going to move to feedback and reflection? So Those things are really just going to kind of depend on the caregiver. And this is when coaching gets hard because it's like, what do I do next? Well, guess what? They don't know what to do next either. So so you're both in the same boat. So don't worry. Um, I'm going to give you the scenario. Like, let's say the joint plan went really well and he's doing the thing they wanted him to do. And the strategy worked really well. And now what? I don't know. Now what? So you might move into, you might be moving into that discussion and practice them when you're talking, when they're telling you how it went, or I'm sorry, discussion and observation. When they're telling you how it went, you can now maybe ask like, oh, can I see what that looks like? Can I see how he did that for you? Just because they said it went well, their definition of well and your definition of well may not be the same. And there might be something missing. So this might, this is your opportunity to observe. And observation should always be an invitation. It's it's not uh, a requirement. So can you show me what that looks like? Or, oh, I'm so glad that went so well. I would love to see that. How did that work for you? Um, Can I see how he does it for you now? So don't forget to observe the things that are going well and to see if there are opportunities to build on success with the things that are hard and seize any moment you can to observe. And the reason I say that is because I... um, most often, observation will lead to practicing the strategy in other contexts and other situations. So um, the when you observe, here are some ideas that I've already given. Um, open the discussion about priorities, needs, and plans for the v- visit. What is most relevant? And what would be most useful to the caregiver right now? Should you see that in action? Should you see something else in action? Actively listen to what the caregiver has to say. Don't try and think about what you're going to say next. Try not to think about how you're going to respond. 
Simply listen and be mindful of that. And then you can have a reflective conversation about what was just said. Um, Observe, of course, whenever you can. So prompts to get you started with observation and discussion. Can we try that right now? Do you want to try it while I'm here? Can you show me how you do that? How does that look when you do that? How would that look when you do it? How about you try it? Do you want to try it right now? Is it okay if I watch him do that or watch you do that? I'm having a hard time understanding exactly what it looks like. Can you show me? I find the can you show me or can we try it prompt really, really helpful. So observation is not the caregiver just watching you interact with a child. It's not you telling the caregiver what to do and how to do it or expecting the caregiver to know what to do. Observation is just that, watching and reflecting. When you want the caregiver to observe you, let's say this is now um, an opportunity or a moment that you want to model I would strongly encourage you to pause before you model, but here are some prompts. When I do this strategy with him, watch what I'm doing with my hands. or So give them something to look at while you're modeling a strategy. Let's say you just observe them. Can I show you a different way? That would be another prompt to kind of offer your modeling. Um, When I see blank, or I'm sorry, when I do this, fill in the blank, look to see how she reacts or he reacts. Watch what I do with my hands or where I hold the objects or listen to the words I'm, I'm using. So those are just some ways to intentionally model and model when appropriate. So I really feel like discussion leads to most often observation and modeling is probably the most appropriate time to do that when you are having a back and forth discussion and you're observing the caregiver and then the reverse happens. The caregiver then observes you if needed. So that was one example of what happens at the beginning of a visit when the caregiver has just reported things are going really well. Well, let's say the caregiver just reported that things were a total flop. They did not happen the way they thought it was going to happen. It wasn't as successful or maybe it just didn't happen at all. So you might move straight from that Um, greeting and check-in and reviewing the joint plan straight to problem solving. So let's take a look at problem solving. Um, Problem solving requires you to define exactly what the problem is and then brainstorming ways around it. So I like to use these prompts like why didn't it happen or what do you think the problem is 
And let's say it was time or something like that, or just um, something else got in the way. Start bouncing ideas back and forth. What did you try? What worked? What didn't work? Is there anything we should consider? Is there anything working in a similar situation? Telling the caregiver what the solution is, is not problem solving. Um, And it's not giving suggestions without the input from the caregiver. You're probably going to give suggestions they've already tried. So not that your knowledge isn't valuable, but a lot of times you need to first explore what they tried. They might say, oh, it just didn't work. Or I don't know, he didn't do it like he did it when you were here last week with us. Okay, well, what did you try? How did you do it? Don't give suggestions until you figure that out. Uh, Problem solve in the moment. So when they're explaining to you what didn't work, look around and evaluate what's what's available to you in the environment and what's happening right now and what you have access to as far as like materials or toys or motivators or have them go get the thing that they were using um, to get him to request or something like that or go into the kitchen if they were doing it in that food routine or something like that and have them walk you through what they tried. You sometimes don't even need the child. Um For that, you know, for observation or when parents are trying to explain something to you, if they can just walk you through what they did, you might be able to spot um, why it's not working. Um, So, so yeah, problem solve in the moment if you can. Um, And then let the caregiver decide which strategy to try next. So let's say you've been brainstorming, you've considered other factors, you've narrowed things down to what jumps to the top of the list, what looks like the best solution. Um, if something goes wrong, what will be the backup plan? And is is and is there anything else that should be considered? I'll never forget when I was working with um, this little girl, she was using her gait trainer and she was really stubborn with her gait trainer. So her mom was trying to figure out any kind of motivation to get her to use her gait trainer. And she thought she had a really good idea. She was going to, she loves the bath. So she was going to start the bath, but then have her daughter, instead of like crawling um, to the the bathroom for the bath, like she usually does, she was going to have her go in her gait trainer or have her gait trainer available for her during that routine. And I said, I think that's great. And that's a great motivation. And that's a great idea and a great routine. And you have a nice long hallway to practice getting from where she's at to the bathroom. But let's say she doesn't get into the gait trainer and she starts crawling. What are you going to do? So have a backup plan. And just like you shouldn't give suggestions without finding out what has already been tried first, don't decide for the caregiver what to do. Ask them, what are you going to do next time? Or what are you going to do this week instead? You can can rephrase it for them. 
you can reflect back to them what you just what you just heard them say, but by all means don't make the decision for them. Okay, I just want to check in and see how our sandwich is going. So, beginning of every visit, we greet, we check in, we review that joint plan, depending on how the plan went, will depend on what we need to do next. On some visits, though, there is going to be practice, but there also might not be practice. So these are opportunities the caregiver puts into practice what's been discussed during visits. And this can happen at any time. It could happen during the discussion, during the problem solving. It's the actual doing of this stuff. So, or it might be the thing you planned for the visit. So let's say part of that joint plan was you bringing visuals for snack time. And so practice consists of both spontaneous and planned events. So, hey, I have those visuals we talked about and um, this is what I made. What do you think? All right, let's put it into practice. Should we try it? today? We planned a snack today and I brought the snack visuals. Is that still something you want to try? So that's what practice is. Practice is the actual doing, um, the actual practice of the work. So it's the skill and the strategy that's been chosen for the routine or the activity. So for example, let's say the skill is following one-step directions, okay? There are many, many strategies out there for following one-step directions, right? So we need to we need to pick one. I, let's say that our strategy is going to be um, it's going to be during mealtime, and we're going to use a visual or visual or physical cue like pointing, or holding a garbage can, or leading them halfway. The direction is going to be for them to throw something away. And when are you going to do this? When are you going to practice the skill of following one-step directions? At every mealtime and snack time. What activity or micro-routine? I love the word micro-routine. I have to credit Dana Childress with that. She uses that term in her book. Because within that routine of mealtime and snack time, there are many micro-routines. Think about all those little steps that go into mealtime or snack time. So the skill is following one-step directions, throwing food or garbage away. The strategy we're going to use to get them to follow the one-step direction is using a visual or physical cue, for example, pointing, holding up the garbage can, leading them halfway to the garbage during mealtime or snack time. Um, And again, that micro routine is going to be throwing the plate, throwing the snack, whatever it is. That's what we're focusing on during the larger routine of mealtime, snack time. Every single visit is a chance to practice what was discussed or decided. However, I will say that some visits will have more practice than others, and some visits may not have any practice at all. It just depends on what's going on with the caregiver, the child, and the family life. 
Practice is what I think replaces the bag. So practice is not you bringing a set of materials or activities based on what you believe the child needs to work on or what you believe would be motivating and fun that day. Um, That's definitely the old style. Um, It's, it's, it's definitely a style. Um, I'm, I don't agree that it's the best style. So practice is what replaces the bag, if you want to look at it that way. And like you heard me just say before, it's planned and spontaneous events. You may bring something to that visit. I'm not saying you never will. I'm just saying it's not a generic bag of activities and materials you bring to multiple visits. It's something that's been planned and discussed if you are bringing something. Okay, so prompts that move you into practice. You could simply say to a caregiver, and I do this a lot, what do you want to practice today? Do you want to practice that strategy? Is there something new you're struggling with? Or what do you want to do today? I might not use the word practice, but I might say, what do you want to do today? You know, if the plan has changed. Uh, How do you feel about practicing that when I'm here? Like, let's say they're telling you about a situation or event that happened and it didn't go well or it did go really well. How do you feel about practicing that while I'm here? Or on our last visit, you were going to with so-and-so. How did that go for you this week? On our last visit, you wanted to practice this today. Is that something you still want to do? So those are just, um, I think, some very few simple, straightforward prompts to when it comes to practice. There's not too many ways to ask a family or ask a parent or caregiver if they want to do something or practice something. You kind of just have to get out there and, and ask them. Um, some tips for when you do bring materials to the house. Um, ask first, say, hey, next week, would it be okay if I brought a sensory bin and showed you what that looks like? Maybe they have no idea what you're talking about. And that's something you need to show and explain. Or during joint planning, discuss the idea of why you want to bring something and try it. Maybe it's a specific adaptive book. Maybe it's a specific cup. Maybe it's a specific feeding utensil or supported seating or ways to adapt what they have at home to make it work a little bit better for them. You are bringing this item because the family doesn't have access to it and it's most likely going to stay with the family after you leave. And be absolutely sure the caregiver wants to use what you bring rather than thinking, oh, they should use this. So those are just some tips on when you do bring materials to the house um, and to practice with. Okay, next on our sandwich is feedback and reflection. And this is information that is shared by the coach based on what the coach sees the caregiver do or what the caregiver has shared with them. So again, this can happen at the beginning of the visit, in the middle of the visit, at the end of the visit. You know, this is where sandwich making gets a little bit of fun. And I think feedback and reflection should happen on every visit. 
Um, ask those open-ended questions. Um, give that affirmative feedback to the parents, to the caregivers. This is your opportunity to, number one, inform, share your expertise, but to also praise. Praise care- caregivers. They want to know that their efforts are seen and that their feelings and opinions are heard. Feedback gives them validation and confidence. So um, I cannot stress that enough. And again, reflection, I feel like happens all the time. So it's kind of mixed in there uh, in the sandwich. But again, just remember that feedback should not be, of course, judgmental, critical, biased, or shaming. There are a lot of things that parents are going to do that we don't necessarily agree with. Um, But we just need to check ourselves and be like, am I giving them information or feedback based on what I just believe to be true? Or is it true expertise on my part? Um, So some great prompts for giving feedback. Remember, feedback um, is your opportunity to reflect back to the caregiver and to validate them. I understand what you're saying is or he or she really likes it when you respond that way or whatever, fill in the blank. What I'm hearing you say is, or simply saying, I see, I understand, I know what you mean, I hear what you're saying. Um, Just using those simple phrases really tells the caregiver that you're there for them and that you understand what what they're trying to do with their child. You seem really happy about that. You know, when you see that change in caregivers and families, that's the for the positive, because um, a lot of times we're dealing with some negative stuff or some really hard stuff, really say, hey, you seem really happy about that. Um, or you were really smart to think of that. I like to say that for some reason. It, it falls out of my mouth a lot. Like, oh, that's so smart. And I think it's because parents know their own life way better than I could ever know their own life. So when I hear them come up with strategies or ideas that worked for them in the moment, I just, I think it's amazing. And I'll say that you were so smart to think of that, or I like the way you did that. I would agree with that. That's a good idea. So those are just some, some ways to give feedback to, and then reflect. Um, Reflection is huge. Um, I should probably just do a whole podcast on how to reflect with caregivers. Um, But again, I'm just going to talk a little bit about what reflection isn't. Reflection is not putting your own opinions and feelings into what is happening. And it is not telling the caregiver what to do. So if you can follow those two (laughs) basic rules when it comes to reflection, you're doing pretty good. Um, Reflection requires you to ask some awareness questions about what's going on. Um, What does the parent or caregiver already know? And some analysis questions that involve comparing what is going on to what the caregiver wants to have happen. It's sort of those examining questions. Alternative questions, that's the time to brainstorm and seek uh, solutions. And action questions, prepare caregivers for carrying out the plan of practice or are used when developing the joint plan. So I have prompts for all of these. I will put them on Instagram. 
So some great, I'm just going to give you, I have tons of examples. So I'm just going to give you some highlights of awareness questions. What have you tried? Again, what does the parent or caregiver already know? So what's happening? Are you familiar with the term sensory processing or whatever the term might be? Um, when does this happen the most? So again, you're just sort of trying to become aware of what's happening. Analysis questions. Again, those compare what is going on to what the caregiver wants to have happen. So why do you think it happened that way? Or how does what just happened compared to what you want to have happen? So that requires you to analyze, analyze the situation. Alternative questions. Remember, these are brainstorming. What else could you try? What do you think you need to do differently? How might you go about doing that? So again, it's coming up with alternatives. Action questions will lead to joint planning. So what do you have? What do you need? If you don't have it, where can you get it? Um, when are you going to do this? Those kinds of questions. So you can kind of see how coaching is hard, right? It requires you to kind of respond to the caregiver. And I think the reason why coaching is hard too is you don't really know which way you're going to go when you walk through that door. Um, so you don't know what kind of ingredients you're going to put on your put on that sandwich. You don't know what you're going to need. You don't even know what ingredients you have available to you maybe. But what holds that sandwich together at the very end, just like the check-in and the greeting, is the joint planning. So try and leave at least 15 minutes at the end of every visit to accomplish this, if not more. Okay, I because you can't joint plan enough, to be honest. Okay, so just a quick refresh. What is joint planning? Joint planning is what the caregiver decides they want to work on in between visits. And what will be the focus of the next visit? So it's not just what's going to happen between now and the next visit, but a little bit of what's going to happen next time. So help the caregiver think about what he or she wants to do in this moment and expand on that thinking of, of how she can use the strategy after the visit or on another day or doing another routine. Um, ask, the, ask the caregiver for feedback. How do you feel about the way the visit went today? Or how do you feel like that went? Do you feel like you're going to be able to do it with a me not here? Um, those kinds of things. So this joint planning is just really involves you asking the caregiver, what is the plan? I, I don't know. You can't get much simpler or straightforward than that. I don't think there's a whole lot of other questions to ask. But I just want to emphasize joint planning is not you assigning homework. It is not leaving them activities to do in between visits or telling the caregiver what to do and when. It is also not service providers. Um, not service providers don't decide for the caregiver what to do between visits. So, um, I have a whole list of uh, great prompts to kind of get you started when it comes to joint planning, and I'll I'll put these on Instagram too. But 
my t- the top of the list of mine is given everything we've discussed today, what do you want to work on until our next visit? That's pretty much a staple of mine. Or what's your plan for the week? Do you feel like you have a plan for the week? I'll often say that. So what would make your life easier? Can we practice that on our next visit? Like, let's say they just unloaded a whole bunch of stuff on you because that never happens, right? Five, 10 minutes before you're supposed to go or when you're supposed to go. And that's a great time to say, let's practice that on our next visit. Let's talk about it on the next visit. Let's problem solve on the next visit. Um, Or let's check in in two days via... I don't know, text or email if you do the between visit check-ins, which I should probably talk about that on a podcast too. Um, Wrap up, review the schedule. This is your bread now. Um, Closing the sandwich up and um, plan for what's going to happen on the next visit. Review the next day in time. Plan if there's going to be a between visit check-in. Do you want me to call or text you in between this visit and next visit? that kind of thing. Um, You're just wrapping it up. I will try and link this document I created um, on Instagram on how to conduct an early intervention home visit. Um, It's something I created for my student teacher this spring. And I think it's really helpful. I like to even look at it and remind myself of some of these things. And um, while I've talked about components of this on podcast, I felt like it was really important to kind of take a minute and take a little bit longer of a podcast to kind of really go through what a good early intervention home visit looks like. And again, there's no like list of set ingredients. There's no list of steps or steps that even go in order. I wish there was. That'd be so easy. Um, But there isn't. And that's what I think makes coaching hard. And but it also makes it really fun. It makes it really interesting. I cannot tell you how nice it was to break free from that toy bag. Um, I feel so much more connected to my families. My students make so much more progress using this type of structure. Um, what are you going to put in your bag? I'm going to tell you what you're going to put in your bag. You're going to put your knowledge, your experience, your expertise, everything you know about the family, the child, the disability, all of those things you already have in that bag. You don't need stuff. You need to bring that to your home visits and figure out with the family, with the caregivers, What's going to be the best plan of action for this child? Because that's what's so different and what's so unique about Part C um, and early intervention is that we are in the homes. We are working with caregivers to empower caregivers who are going to make the biggest difference in these young, the youngest of learners out there, right? Our newborns, our infants, our toddlers, our almost preschoolers, you know, these are zero, one, two, and three. So anywho, um, thanks for listening. And if you enjoyed the podcast, I'd love to hear from you. Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. 
And I will see you again on another episode of Rainbows and Rain.